chapter one today. We're, we're finally starting uh, a series that we've been talking about for a while, but uh, thank you again for um, what you've done to send our, our kids, our teens to El Salvador and that ministry. We hope in the month of August to give you a report on what took place at Royal Family Kids Camp and to put together some information, um, maybe even a, a slideshow or something in those lines uh, that we can share with you. And so we hope to be able to pass that on to you in uh, the weeks ahead. Also, I wanted to make you aware that tomorrow uh, we're going to begin construction on the remodel of our men's bathroom. I want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving in that and then allowing us to do that. I want to thank Pastor John and his dad, Keith Mullen, for donating uh, their time. It's because of that uh, that kind of put us over the edge, and so we're going to be able to get into that tomorrow. Uh, we hope to have it functional again next Sunday. But uh, if not, uh, there are other bathroom facilities we'll direct you to in the building and uh, try to make those available to you, <clears throat> at least for the men. And so please be aware of that. Also, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be repairing the roof to our sanctuary. Uh, we've had some leaks again this year. We had an, an adjuster come through the insurance company, and they're funding that because of some hail damage. And so we're going to be able to put, um, not just re-shingle it, but even to do some things to the the roof itself to try to keep it from leaking. Um, that This roof has leaked for the 18 years that I have been here. And so we're hoping to once and for all put a stop to that. And so that'll take place over the next couple of weeks. So a lot of uh, in exciting things that are taking place and uh, we're gonna pass them on to you as they uh, happen, as they come available. Uh, State Fair Outreach, please make sure you sign up for that to be a part of that on your Connect card. That's coming up here in a few weeks. And uh, during the month of August, we're changing our schedule a little bit to give our Sunday school teachers a break. So instead of the Sunday school hour, we're serving breakfast at 9.45 every Sunday from 9.45 to 10.10. So please come be a part of that. And uh, then we'll still begin service at 10.30. And uh, our Wednesday night programs are going to restart after the fair this year in September. So September 7th, we're going to restart those. And we've got some great uh, studies that we're going to go through this fall. And so, man, a lot of good stuff happening. And uh, we're going to pass that on to you, as I said, uh, as it becomes available. But today, I've entitled this message, God Has Spoken. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of ground I want to cover as I kind of look at my notes. Um, um, feeling slightly overwhelmed by it, but because we're starting um, a verse by verse, we're going to kind of go through the book of Hebrews. Uh, I really want to unpack a little bit about what this book is and where it came from. This is the only book in the New Testament that doesn't have an author attached to it. We really don't know who it was written to, per se, a specific location. And so when you look at it and think, okay, we don't know who wrote it, we don't know how it got there um, or who it was to, so how did it get in our Bible? And I don't know how much you know about how the, the books that are in this book here um, that make up our Bible, I don't know if you know how much about how they got there, but there's two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the New Testament actually refers to or references or quotes all of the Old Testament books except two. And so it's kind of accepted as through the time of Jesus and through the early church that the books that we have in our Old Testament were authenticated by that early church. Then the New Testament comes along and the gospels who were written by eyewitnesses of Jesus, the accounts of his life here on the earth, and then later the apostles wrote letters to the different churches and they were circulated not just to the churches they were written to, but other churches. And so as the apostles passed from the scene, 
The church that was left began to meet and discuss and try to authenticate the letters, the books that they had and decide which of them should they put into a collection to help us as the church. And so in 393 or by 393, there was a church council and there were councils all the way through and there were tests and I don't have time to go into all of this. But they decided on these 66 books. They believed that these could be authenticated, that these were people who were eyewitnesses of these things, that they were proven. And so there are other books, maybe you've heard of the Apocrypha, or maybe you've heard about the, the, the letter written by Enoch. Um, there's so many different books that are out there. Uh, but these were the ones they put together and said, this is our guide, this is our help, this is our eyewitness of Jesus. And so it's kind of a closed book, we say, that this is God's revelation of who he is to us. And we're going to kind of unpack that and talk about that as we go through today, uh, through some of the scriptures we're going to read. The the authorship or who actually wrote the book of Hebrews is in question. No one really knows. Lots of scholars like to argue and speculate about it. Some believe and most widely believed it was the apostle Paul. Some believe it was Paul's um, traveling companion because so much of what's written seems like there's some, uh, they knew about Paul, they knew about um, his travels, they knew about Timothy, and so there's some hints and clues in the book of Hebrews that we'll get to, and so some, if they don't believe it's Paul, believe it's Barnabas. Barnabas was Paul's traveling companion. He was also from the tribe of Levi, which would help us understand why he knew so much about the, the Levitical priesthood and all the sacrifices and stuff that are in there. Some believe it was Apollos, who was a, a a student of Priscilla and Aquila, was also a student of Paul at times, and he comes up in the New Testament. Some think it was Luke, who was a traveling companion of Paul for a while, wrote the book of Acts. Um, some even believe it was Priscilla. Why does it matter? Um, it's good for us to kind of understand who wrote this book and where it came from. We don't know for sure. Um, I tend to lean uh, toward Priscilla. Now, I know that's kind of weird because some of you right now are thinking, how could a woman write a book of the Bible? Um, the one main argument about Priscilla being the author of the book of Hebrews is there's a masculine pronoun used in the book of Hebrews. I believe it's in chapter 11. I could be wrong. Uh, it's in later in the book, but it's a pronoun, first person pronoun, but it's the masculine style. If Priscilla had written this book and did not attach her name to it, because in this society, if a man would pick up a book that was written by a woman, he would discard it. So if for the reason of that, she did not attach her name to it, um, she would have been educated enough to not use a female uh, pronoun to describe herself so that it would throw people off. So I don't have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Um, now, some of you are thinking, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 said that women are not allowed to teach. They should never stand at pulpits and teach men. They can teach children. They can teach other women. I don't believe the Apostle Paul said women can never teach men in 1 Timothy chapter 2. As you go through 1 Timothy chapter 2 and you look at the context of, of that letter written to the church in Ephesus and you understand that Ephesus was a, a city w which was the main center of the worship of Diana. The, um, the temple of Artemis is located in the city of Ephesus where Timothy was when Paul wrote 1 Timothy chapter 2. And there's a lot of false teaching that's starting to 
to creep into the church because of it. This special knowledge that could be passed on through women because of Diana and even through sometimes prostitution. So if you were to engage in sexual activity with a prostitute in the temple, you could actually receive special knowledge from Diana. She could impart that to you. Uh, the idea that Eve, the mother of all living, Diana was called the mother of all living, and the, uh, even to the point of thinking Eve birthed Adam is the type of false teaching that was taking place in the city. And so as Paul's writing to Timothy to contend for the true, pure gospel, and he begins to encounter this passage, and he's talking about men, plural, women, plural, in 1 Timothy chapter two, and I know I'm taking a long time with this, but I really felt like I needed to. Um, but he talks about women and how to dress. And some of the ways that he's telling them not to dress are the same way that the women who worshiped Diana would dress. And so he's telling them, don't dress in that way. Don't dress in a way, but let your inner beauty come forth. Then he shifts and he's singular. So he's no longer talking about women. He says, woman. I, know, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men. Uh, in my understanding of it, and as I study it, and as I go through it, I believe the Apostle Paul is specifically speaking to this church. If he's telling that no women should ever speak in church or never teach, he's contradicting himself. Because earlier in the Gospels, he teaches how women should prophesy in the church. Well, why should he bother to teach how they should prophesy if they're not supposed to speak? Why are there other women that are teaching men? Priscilla and Aquila, which by the way, in our day and age, we just throw people's names around. It doesn't matter which name comes first. In the Bible days, that's a big hairy deal. So Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos home and taught him the scriptures and gave him more understanding. That's told to us in the Bible. And so Priscilla had a, a good grasp on the scriptures. There's actually a female apostle in Romans chapter 16 that's uh, Unius is uh, a, a female name. Translators have actually at times made that a masculine name. And it, the masculine version of that name doesn't even exist in the Roman Empire. So for a long time, men, especially in Jewish custom, were like, the only thing that mattered, and women were seen as property and secondary, and, but when the, the gospel comes along, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek. There's no longer male or female. Now, absolutely, we have different roles and different understandings, but to say, because of a few uh, passages of scripture, two verses in 1 Timothy chapter two, that women should never teach, I think does a great disservice. So maybe I lean toward Priscilla, just because I think that would be kind of ironic that people who never would listen to a woman teach love this book written by a woman and they don't know it. Uh, that would be kind of the irony of ironies, if you will, but we don't know. I lean that direction. I could be wrong. It could be Apollos. It could be Paul. It could be Barnabas. I don't know. We don't know what specific location it was sent to, but we do know it was written to Jews. The book Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians. These Jewish Christians had accepted Christ and put their faith in him over their Jewish faith. But now, as we read later in Hebrews 11, 12, and 13, they're facing persecution. They're being killed because of their faith. Some of them are rethinking that. Maybe we should go back to the old way. 
So this entire book is written to them as an encouragement. Don't turn back. And it, to- it totally, from start to finish, takes and presents Jesus as far superior to the old covenant. And it ties the two together. Other than the book of Romans, to me, the book of Hebrews is one of the most theologically profound books in the entire New Testament. It is by far one of my favorite books. There is so much that's in there. And... Uh, I can't promise that we're going to go straight through Hebrews 1 through 13, but we're going to keep coming back to it. If we take breaks for other things or sharing other things, we're going to do that, but we will come back and we will go through that. And the book of Hebrews, I believe, is going to be an encouragement to us in the same way, because as we put our faith in Christ, as we learned last week, there's sometimes we second guess that. Because life doesn't go the way we've expected or we put our faith and trust in Jesus and hardship comes. Well, this book, the same way it encouraged that first century Jew is gonna encourage us that Jesus is indeed the only way, the only truth and the only life. And so you may feel like giving up, but don't give up because Jesus is far superior to any other way and just stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And so I believe this book is gonna encourage us as we go through it too. So we're at Hebrews chapter one. Verse one, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and and read along with me. It says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So there's no usual greeting. They just dive right in. God in the Old Testament spoke by use of the prophets at different times, basically in scattered moments. God would appear in the Old Testament and here and there, he would relay messages to the people. He didn't speak to them directly like he speaks to you and I in the New Testament. He spoke to a prophet. That prophet relayed that message to the people. And it was fragmented pieces of the whole. This is a revelation of who God is. This is um, an incomplete but, but truthful representation of God it's scattered it's peace here and a piece there it's a shadow of the things that are to come now God has always desired to reveal himself fully to his people and he's always been moving toward it and we're going to see it as we go through here but the writer's trying to show right off from the beginning that to these Jews that the system of the old testament was incomplete it was fragmented and he's encouraging them don't turn back from following Jesus to this old fragmented way he's highlighting right from the beginning this new way is superior to everything at the same time he's trying not to insult the old way he doesn't want to you know it's not like the Old Testament is worthless and and fruitless it had a purpose it had a plan and and he's going to show or she is going to show what it means but from the outset there's no doubt that Jesus is the best way and so in the final days he's spoken to us through his son then he begins to give us the resume of the son the son was with God at creation that's confirmed by John chapter 1 when John writes about Jesus it's confirmed by Colossians chapter 1 when Paul says it Jesus was with God at the beginning Jesus was not created he was always with God he is God he's fully God he's not a prophet he's not sent from God he is God and so 
He was with God in the beginning and he begins to go through and talk about how he sustains all life. He's, he's the complete and full image of God. We're gonna talk more next week about Jesus and the supremacy that he is. But today, I wanna focus on what God has spoken because ultimately what the writer says right from the outset is Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is God's final word. Now, I wrestled with this because I actually had two different title screens made up. One that said God is speaking and one that God has spoken. And the reason I wrestled with it because when you say God has spoken, it sounds past tense in our English. You've got to understand, in English, we've got past, present, future. In Greek, you've got way more tenses than just past, present, and future tense. And this is written in what's called aorist tense. And the aorist tense means that it did happen in the past, but it has continuing effect right now. And so when we look at it and say, well, God has spoken in the past, he spoke through Jesus, that's kind of like past tense to us. But in the Greek, yes, it's past tense, God's spoken through Jesus, but he is continually today still speaking through Jesus, and I think you'll see that as we go through this. This is the continuing result of that past action. So his final word in Jesus does not imply that God no longer speaks. What it does mean is that now what he speaks to us lines up with Jesus as revealed to us in this book because Jesus is his final word. Does that make sense? Jesus himself taught us how God would speak to us after he left the earth. If we go to John chapter 14, this is what it says. Jesus telling his disciples, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Again, emphasizing what we've already heard in Ephesians, or Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 9 Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe I'm in the Father, the Father's in me? The words I speak, they're not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Okay? Jesus saying, I'm the representation of the Father. Now look at this. I will ask the Father, verse 16, he will give you another advocate, another helper, another of the same kind who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. Later, he will be in you. Right now, disciples, he's living with you. His presence is with us, but later he will be in you. Verse 26, when the Father sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit is my representative, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything. If God no longer speaks today, I believe he does, I believe God speaks to us through his Son by way of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. But I want you to understand this. He teaches us everything and reminds us what Jesus taught. Those are separate things. So in other words, the Holy Spirit, now please don't 
freak out, hear everything I say before you develop an opinion of what I just said. The Holy Spirit will teach us new things. He will teach us everything. In John 14, 15, and 16, he will show you what is to come. There's much more I want to say to you, but I can't say it now, Jesus says. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll show you those things. So there's going to be information given by the Holy Spirit from Jesus directly to us today. But it's tied with this. He's going to teach you these new everything and remind you of everything I've said. Why? Because the new stuff needs to line up with everything I've said. So I'm going to teach you new things. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal them. But if it doesn't line up with everything I've already taught you, it's not the Holy Spirit. So he's going to teach you new things, remind you of everything I've taught so you can understand it all. Then we go over to John chapter 16 and he continues. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you. He will speak. The Holy Spirit will speak right here from the words of Jesus and tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory by telling you whatever he receives to me. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The Holy Spirit will speak to us what he's received from Jesus. And there's nothing in all of this book that tells us God has changed his mind on that and that the Holy Spirit has now fallen silent and no longer desires to speak to us. In fact, more and more teaching later on by the apostles helps us understand how the Holy Spirit speaks, begins to teach us how the Holy Spirit speaks so we can learn to hear his voice and respond to him. Now, there are people today that will teach God no longer speaks today. This book is the only thing God says. Well, here's my question to those people because I know some of them and what they do is they're faced with this very difficult decision to make and they begin to pray and say, God, show me which decision to make. Why are you doing that? God no longer speaks. He's not going to tell you what decision to make. He doesn't speak. See, because people that even believe and teach that God doesn't speak today don't live it out. They still pray and ask God to show them and direct them. And you, they say, well, it's not on the same plane as Scripture. Well, of course it's not on the same plane as Scripture. This is what Jesus taught by eyewitnesses. This is our litmus test. And so if I feel like the Holy Spirit has come and revealed something to me and I, I apply this test to it, and it doesn't match up, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. If we're going to hear God speak in these last days, the first step is to believe that he speaks. I mean, that may sound simple, but it is the first step. We have to believe that God wants to speak to you and I today. Okay, that's step one. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter one. We're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Peter, eyewitness of Jesus on earth. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joys. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, you gotta understand, mountain of transfiguration is what he's referring to. And Jesus told his disciples, don't tell anyone about what you heard and saw on this mountain until I've risen from the dead. Peter kept his word. He didn't tell anybody, but he's telling them now. You should see what we experienced on the mountain. We heard a voice that said, this is my son, confirming that Jesus is his son. 
verse 19. Because of that experience, we have even confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, the Old Testament. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So Peter puts his stamp of approval as an eyewitness of God's final word, Jesus, on this earth. This book is God's revelation and should be trusted. That's what he says. So not only do we have to believe God speaks, but step two is just as important. We gotta get in this book. You will not learn to hear God's voice if you do not read this book. Coming to church is not enough. Hanging around Christian people is not enough. You gotta get in this book. When you get in this book, you are hearing the very voice of God and you are learning what his voice sounds like. This is where hearing God begins. The scriptures teach us this. Colossians chapter three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Psalm chapter one. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Now you can quote all you want, Psalm 1-3, you can pin it on every place in your house and claim it as a promise of God, but if you don't pin verse two with it, it's not coming to pass. You won't be like a tree planted by rivers of living water bearing fruit in season without meditating on this book day and night. We have got to get in this book. We cannot be lazy or indifferent to the word of God. James chapter one warns us why. Get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of God that he's planted in your hearts. It is the power to save your soul. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully, into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, God will bless you for doing it. It warns us that if we're not in the book one, or if we're in the book and we're not applying it to our lives, as we're gonna talk about in just a second, you're gonna hear things, but you're not gonna know whether or not it's God's voice. And I don't care if you've been saved a hundred years if you are not regularly in this book, you run the risk of being deceived and thinking you are hearing from God, but not. You've gotta stay current on his voice. People in the world who are trying to recognize counterfeit things, they don't study all the different counterfeits, they study the truth. And they don't just study it once in, in school and then go out and, and just are able to pinpoint counterfeit money or counterfeit checks or counter... I mean, 
they continuously study the genuine. And if they do that about things out there that don't matter, how much more will they do that? How much more should we do that? We need to know the genuine so we can recognize the false. You got to stay with me. The word of God teaches us his voice. We learn to recognize his voice. We learn to see his wisdom, his decisions. Because every decision you have to make, every question you have about God, when you start saying, God, show me that I need to hear your voice in this regard or in this area, there's not always a chapter and verse. Which job should I take? Which place should I move to? Should I participate in this or not in this? There's not always gonna be a verse to go to. You're gonna have to learn to hear God's voice, but this is where you learn to hear it. And then when you think you hear it over here, you have to come to step three. Step three is test every word and test the word together. When you think you hear something and you think God is speaking to you as an individual or as a church or as an entire body of Christ in the world, everything has to be tested by this It doesn't mean it's not going to be something that is not written in this book, but it better line up with it. It better not contradict it because God is still speaking. He's still teaching us everything. He's still showing us things that are to come, new things that aren't written in here, but this book is always our final authority and our litmus test. And so I can say beyond any shadow of a doubt, if you come to me and say, hey, God has, a, God has a word and here's the word and there is something in here that says, no, the character of God contradicts that. I can say that's not God. Whether it's you or whether it's me or it's a dream or a vision or we were in praise and worship and someone gave a message in tongues and an interpretation, if it doesn't line up with this book, it wasn't God. That's step three. And the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're not going to read all of this. But we have got to learn how the Holy Spirit speaks. We have got to learn that the gifts of the Spirit should be operating in our lives to learn to hear God's voice. And he tells us, let's skip down to verse uh, 29. Let two or three people prophesy. And then let the others evaluate what is said. Evaluate based on what? this if someone is prophesying in a church but it contradicts the character of god or the word of god or the it's not god and it should be dismissed now we don't have to crucify the person thank god that we're not under the old covenant where if you were a false prophet you had to be stoned you glad for that i mean let's have some let's have some prophetic words today but if you're wrong we're stoning you uh, that would, I mean, it's really hard enough to get people to operate in the spirit today, but uh, if we were under old covenant, it would be really hard. And so there has to be grace as we're working this out. Look at verse 32. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. He spends three chapters writing to this church in Corinth, trying to correct them, trying to teach them, showing them, hey, Hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and responding is so valuable. You need to do this. You need to desire it. You need to eagerly desire this gift of prophecy, hearing God speak and then speaking for God. It's for everyone. It's not for a select few. It's not for the pastors. It's for everyone in this church. That's what he says in Corinth. That's what he's saying to you. Please don't be afraid of it. 
If there's fear when it comes, when we start talking about this, if you're afraid, that's not God. How do I know that? Because Paul right here says, eagerly desire it. So where's that fear coming from? Not from the Holy Spirit. Hear this. Now, you're not gonna wake up tomorrow and be fluent in the way God speaks. In fact, you and I will spend the rest of our lives learning how God speaks. You and I will make mistakes. You and I will think we have heard for God on something and it will not be God. And it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to flounder in this. We offer grace and humility to one another as we work this out. In 1 John chapter four, clearly John says, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false spirits have gone out into the world. The Bible says test the spirits. What happens is we think we hear from God and sometimes pride clips comes in and we, we say, well, you know, I've heard from God on this and someone will say, well, I don't believe that's God. And then pride comes in and this is what we say. Well, I know how to hear God. No one's denying that you know how to hear God. But all of us are susceptible to hearing something and having it not be God. Remember Peter. Everyone remember Peter? Peter says, Lord, what are you talking about? You're not going to Jerusalem and get crucified. What are you, out of your mind? I'm never gonna let that happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. That's harsh. Peter's Satan? No, he's not talking to Peter. He's talking to the word that Peter's giving him. He's testing the spirit. Peter, the, spirit, the word you're providing right now is not from God. God wants me to be crucified. So the, t- the test isn't whether or not it's gonna make life easier for us. That's not the test. We've gotta test everything by this book. And we've gotta test it together in the body of Christ. One of the reasons God says, hey, be in a local body of believers together, test these words together, is because if, if I want to, I could get a word from God and I could go find somebody somewhere to agree that it's a word from God. That's not the question. I mean, I could find 10 people. I could find 15 people. But God plants me in a group of believers and he puts me together with people that know my personality, that know who I am. He puts me under people that are in authority over me and so I can share with them, hey, I think God's saying this and they can speak into my life. God does that so that he can help us to know his voice. And just because we missed it once doesn't mean we're demon-possessed. Okay, Peter isn't demon-possessed. We can all miss it. So we test it. We test the fruit of the message. Is the message that's being shared producing life? Is it bringing us into obedience to God? Is it drawing us closer to God? Because the fruit of it has to line up with this book, but it also has to line up with the character of God revealed in this book. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. You know, if I was Paul, I would have said, guys, there's a whole lot of false teachers out there. There's a whole lot of false words being put out there. Um, There's a lot of crazy, excuse me, going on. And uh, so we're just gonna scale back on this Holy Spirit thing. Uh, we're gonna, we, you know, we, we gotta put some parameters on it, so we're just gonna cut back. He doesn't say that. He says, don't stifle it. I know, you, you gotta test this. I know that there's problems. I wrote three chapters to the Corinthians on this. 
This is valuable. This is worth it. You got to work for this thing. Don't stifle it. Go after it. Test it. Hold on to what's good. Yeah, there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of crazy. Let it go. Let it go. There's one example that I want to take time today, and we're, I'm bringing it to a close. The plane is landing, I promise you. But I want to give you this illustration from Acts chapter 16 because I think it illustrates it so well. The Apostle Paul, um, well, let's just read it. I'll make some comments as we go. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phyria. I don't know how to say that, Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Something happened, we don't know what, but the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going in here to preach the word. So coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus, which is another way to say the Holy Spirit, did not allow them to go there. Okay, so Paul's getting a little frustrated. I mean, the Holy Spirit's saying, no, no, I, I got to preach, so where am I going? So instead, they go to Mycenae, to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. He had a dream. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I mean, that sounds like a good assumption. So they go there, and the first place they land is Philippi. Then we come to verse 16. And the Apostle Paul, one day, as they were going down to the place of prayer, they met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Now they have an encounter with this slave girl. They know, they know something about her. They know she has a spirit that enables her to tell the future. Now the Holy Spirit teaches us what is to come. It could be the Holy Spirit. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Mm, not the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of that is not to earn you a lot of money. If the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life is a gift to try to earn a lot of money for your masters by telling people their prophecy, there's a problem there. Paul knows this. Paul recognizes this. This is not the Spirit. So she follows them for a couple days, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God. They have come to tell you how to be saved. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. How about you? I mean, in fact, if I walked through the streets of Huron, it'd be nice to have a couple of people shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they've come to tell you how to be saved. And maybe you would draw a crowd, don't you think? I mean, it's a good thing. But look what Paul does. He gets so exasperated, he turns around and says to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her and instantly left. Now, her message is accurate. What she is saying is 100% true. But yet Paul knows it's not by the Holy Spirit. You cannot mix a little bit of false with a little bit of true and allow that to be your platform. And so he rejects this word and he takes it and he casts a demon out of her. Now, you'd think a great revival would take place, right? Look at this. So they shared the word of the Lord with him. Oh, I must, I must have skipped a part. So here's what happens. They go in prison. They get arrested because these guys get ticked. You cast the demon out. She can't tell the future anymore. We don't like you. You're going to jail. So here's Paul. Had a vision, come to Macedonia. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed God. Maybe that wasn't God. 
Because here I am, I come to Macedonia, maybe I shouldn't have cast the demon out of that girl. Maybe that wasn't right. Maybe she really was speaking for the Holy Spirit. Maybe God's, maybe now we're in prison here, Paul, Silas, we're in prison because I was not supposed to cast the demon out of that girl. I mean, what she was saying was true. And so they're in prison and they're talking about this and they're deciding, no, that's not what they're doing. You know the story? What are they doing in prison? They're lifting their voices and praising God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I mean, they had reason to question. They had reason to doubt. They had reason to think they missed God in some of this. But what do they do? They just start praising him. They put on the garment of praise for the spirit of despair, and an earthquake comes, and all of their shackles come off. All of the prison doors come open, but not one prisoner leaves. Now, can I ask you, in our society today, if a prison had an earthquake and every door flew open and every shackle came off every prisoner, how many prisons do you think that not one person would leave? That's got to be supernatural intervention. The prisoners should have all left. And the jailer comes in and he's going to kill himself. But Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're all here. <clears throat> so they share the word of the Lord with him, verse 32, and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. He had everyone in his household, and they were baptized immediately. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. And then after their release from prison, a few verses later, Paul and Silas left the prison, returned to the home of Lydia, the, where, where they had met with the believers and encouraged them once more, and then they left town. This, is, this should be our lives. God wants to speak to us this same way. He wants to tell us, don't go here, go here. And as we get in this book, as we believe he speaks, as we get in this book and we learn his character, we learn his nature, and we come together, we test the things that God is saying, we walk together through this process, God will do this in our lives. But it doesn't mean we're never gonna get thrown in prison. It doesn't mean we're never gonna have to step back and go, did we miss God there? That, that's gonna happen from time to time. But Paul says, you know what? Hold on to what is good. Let go of what is evil. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. He speaks. God's final word to us is Jesus. Jesus himself said, I'm gonna send you my spirit. My spirit is gonna speak to you. He's gonna help you. We gotta believe that that's true. You've gotta believe that that's true. You've gotta be in this book so you learn to hear and recognize his voice and you've gotta be willing to test every word that comes and admit that maybe you and I can be wrong from time to time. And if we'll do that, God will speak and he'll show himself not only to us but to people in this city. That's his final word. So Father, I thank you today for sending your son to this earth. I thank you that we don't have to sit here right now and guess what you're like. We don't have to worry that you're uh, just any moment gonna get so fed up with us that you're gonna destroy us because we have proof from eyewitnesses. Your son came and he testified about you, that you're patient, that you're kind, that you're ex abounding in love and mercy toward us. And God, we don't wanna take that for granted. We don't wanna to, to take your grace and receive it in vain. We wanna walk in truth and in righteousness. We wanna learn to hear your voice. And so Holy Spirit, we today 
know that you desire to speak to us. You've revealed it to us in your word. We know that this book is our foundation. This is our guide. This is helping us to know your character, to know your nature, to know your ways. Help us to get in it. Help us to study it, to read it, to meditate on it, to let it grow in our lives. Help us to be willing to come together and to test the things that you speak to us. We know You're gonna teach us everything. You're gonna remind us of the things that Jesus taught us so that we can hear you speak to us so that we can learn your voice and that you can guide us in our daily lives. God, that's what we want. That's our desire today. As we get ready to close this service this morning, as you're you're with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I want you to process this for a moment. Because in order to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you have to be in relationship with God. Meaning you have to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. You have to admit that Jesus died on that cross as a replacement for you and for me. You have to put faith in that, confidence in that. And if you've never done that today, you can read the Bible, but you're not gonna learn to hear the voice of God unless you come through Jesus. He is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. We're gonna talk more about that next week. We kind of skipped over it today, but I'm gonna trust if you're here that the Holy Spirit's making that real in your heart right now. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you don't know what that means, and you say, I wanna do that today. I wanna surrender my life to the Lord, and I'm willing to hear some more about that, and I wanna know what it is to surrender my life to him. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to surrender my life to Christ for the very first time today. If that's you, just wave at me and say, that's me, pray for me today. Then I'm gonna assume that the rest of us in this room have done that, or at least understood that. And if you've heard it, but you've not done it, can I challenge you today to do that, to take that step and surrender your life to him? For the rest of us, the challenge in this room is to start living like God wants to speak to us every day. It's to start eagerly desiring the gifts that Paul talks about. It's about getting in the word and knowing and testing the things that God speaks. He's going to give you dreams. He's told us in this word, he's going to do it. He's going to give you visions. He's going to speak to your heart through a still small voice. He's going to show you decisions that need to be made. And you got to make sure they line up with his book. You got to make sure they line up with his character as it's already been revealed to us. So you got to be willing to test it. You gotta be willing to test it together with a body of believers. If this isn't the place where you attend church regularly, we'd love to have you be here with us. We welcome you here. As a church, this is what we wanna do. We wanna be able to test together what God is saying to us, how he's helping us to live out our faith here on this earth. We wanna make a difference in this community for him. And it starts by hearing his voice. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close. As we, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to pray a blessing over you. I'm going to pray for you and dismiss you. But if you're here and you want to take a moment and you need to be prayed for, maybe you're struggling with something, we want to take an opportunity to pray for you. Maybe you want to pray by yourself. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've been seeking that, I want to challenge you, take a few moments today call on the Lord, say, Lord, I just need to hear the voice of your spirit in a greater way. If you need to confess that you've been lazy and apathetic toward the word, do that. Do that. Repent of that. Say, God, I've been lazy and apathetic to your word, and I need to turn away from it. I need to be in your word diligently. 
meditating on it, hiding it in my heart so I recognize your voice. If there's pride and arrogance in your heart, maybe you thought you heard from the Lord and someone rejected that word and now you, there's just a bitterness in your heart or maybe you're, you're afraid because of some things that have happened in, in your past. You don't want to get excessive in this. So you're letting fear dictate instead of the truth of God's word. If you need to spend time in prayer, we're going to let this place be a place where you can pray. You want someone to pray with you? I'll be here. Some of our prayer team will stick around. We'll be willing to pray with you before you dismiss yourself today. And so Father, I just pray for each of us in this room right now. God, that we would now, as we leave this room, live out our lives knowing and believing that you desire to speak. Listening for your voice. Valuing the dreams that you give us, the visions that you give. God, just the, the impressions that you give us. That we would be students of your word. God, reading it. Devouring it. Not just in a, a daily devotion time, but God, daily. That we would be in your word, meditating on it rehearsing it in our heads, discussing it together. God, learning to hear your voice, willing to test everything that comes by your word, willing to test it together. God, we don't want to stifle your voice. If we stifle your Holy Spirit, that's what we're doing. We're stifling your voice. That's how you're speaking to us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now. So God, we want to hear your voice. So help us to be able to push past fears, doubts, questions, insecurities, and just learn to hear your voice. Help us to have grace for one another as we walk this out in our daily lives. Holy Spirit, as we this week begin to put these words into practice, I pray that you would respond, that we would hear you speak. then give us grace to respond to you in that. Father, I pray your blessing over those that are here today. Would you, as you said in your word, bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you be gracious to them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, if you need to be dismissed, please just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time in prayer. If you've got questions or you want to talk, or be prayed for, uh, please find one of us around this altar. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you as you go. In Christ alone, my hope is found, and he is